Section twenty nine of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. It is hardly possible for me to conceive what would have been our part in this affair had my woman Amy gone with me on board this ship. It had certainly blown up the whole affair, and I must for ever after have been this girl's vassal, that is to say, have let her into the secret, and trusted to her keeping it too, or have been exposed and undone. The very thought filled me with horror. But I was not so unhappy, neither, as it fell out, for Amy was not with us, and that was my deliverance indeed. Yet we had another chance to get over still. As I resolved to put off the voyage, so I resolved to put off the visit, you may be sure, going upon this principle, namely that I was fixed in it, that the girl had seen her last of me, and should never see me more. However, to bring myself well off, and withal to see if I could a little farther into the matter, I sent my friend the Quaker to the captain's lady to make the visit promised and to make my excuse that I could not possibly wait on her, for that I was very much out of order, and in the end of the discourse I bade her insinuate to them that she was afraid I should not be able to get ready to go the voyage as soon as the captain would be obliged to go, and that perhaps we might put it off to his next voyage. I did not let the Quaker into any other reason for it than that I was indisposed, and not knowing what other face to put upon that part, I made her believe that I thought I was a breeding. It was easy to put that into her head, and she of course hinted to the captain's lady that she found me so very ill, that she was afraid I would miscarry, and then to be sure I could not think of going. She went, and she managed that part very dexterously, as I knew she would though she knew not a word of the grand reason of my indisposition. But I was all sunk and dead-hearted again when she told me she could not understand the meaning of one thing in her visit, namely that the young woman, as she called her, that was the captain's lady, and who she called sister, was most impertinently inquisitive into things, as who I was, how long I had been in England, where I had lived, and the like and that above all the rest she inquired if I did not live once at the other end of town. I thought her inquiries so out of the way, says the honest Quaker, that I gave her not the least satisfaction. But as I saw by thy answers on board the ship, when she talked of thee, that thou didst not incline to let her be acquainted with thee, so I was resolved that she should not be much the wiser for me, and when she asked me if thou ever livedst here, or there, I always said, no, but that thou wast a Dutch lady, and was going home again to thy family, and lived abroad. I thanked her very heartily for that part, and indeed she served me in it more than I let her know she did. In a word, she thwarted the girl so cleverly, that if she had known the whole affair, she could not have done it better. But I must acknowledge all this put me upon the rack again. I was quite discouraged, not at all doubting but that the jade had a right scent of things. 
that she knew and remembered my face, but had artfully concealed her knowledge of me till she might perhaps do it more to my disadvantage. I told all this to Amy, for she was all the relief I had. The poor soul, Amy, was ready to hang herself, but as she said, she had been the occasion of it all, and that if I was ruined, which was the word I always used to her, she had ruined me, and she tormented herself about it so much that I was sometimes fain to comfort her, and myself too. What Amy vexed herself at was, chiefly, that she should be surprised so by the girl, as she called her, I mean surprised into a discovery of herself to the girl, which indeed was a false step of Amy's, and so I had often told her. But it was to no purpose to talk of that now. The business was how to get clear of the girl's suspicions, and of the girl too, for it looked more threatening every day than another. And if I was uneasy at what Amy had told me of her rambling and rattling to her, I had a thousand times as much reason to be uneasy now, when she had chopped upon me so unhappily as this, and not only had seen my face, but knew too where I lived, what name I went by, and the like. And I am not come to the worst of it, yet neither for a few days after my friend the Quaker had made her visit, and excused me on the account of indisposition as if they had done it in over and above kindness, because they had been told I was not well, they come both directly to my lodgings to visit me. The captain's wife, and my daughter, who she called sister, and the captain, to show them the place. The captain only brought them to the door, put them in, and went away upon some business. Had not the kind Quaker in a lucky moment come running in before them, they had not only clapped in upon me in the parlour as it had been a surprise, but which would have been a thousand times worse, had seen Amy with me. I think if that had happened I had had no remedy but to take the girl by herself, and have made myself known to her, which would have been all distraction. But the Quaker, a lucky creature to me, happened to see them come to the door before they rung the bell. Instead of going to let them in, came running in with some confusion in her countenance, and told me who was a-coming, at which Amy ran first, and I after her, and bid the Quaker come up as soon as she had let them in. I was going to bid her deny me, but it came into my thoughts that, having been represented so much out of order, it would have looked very odd. Besides, I knew the honest Quaker, though she would do anything else for me, would not lie for me, and it would have been hard to have desired it of her. After she had let them in and brought them into the parlour, she came up to Amy and I, who were hardly out of the fright, and yet were congratulating one another that Amy was not surprised again. They paid their visit in form and I received them as formerly, but took occasion two or three times to hint that I was so ill that I was afraid I should not be able to go to Holland, at least not so soon as the captain must go off, and made my compliment. How sorry I was to be disappointed of the advantage of their company and assistance in the voyage. And sometimes I talked as if I thought I might stay till the captain returned and would be ready to go again. 
and the Quaker put in that then I might be too far gone, meaning with child, that I should not venture at all, and then as she should be pleased with it, added she hoped I would stay and lie in at her house, so as this carried its own face with it, was well enough. But it was now high time to talk of this to my husband, which, however, was not the greatest difficulty before me. For after this and other chat had taken up some time, the young fool began her tattle again, and two or three times she brought it in that I was so like a lady as she had the honour to know at the other end of town that she could not put that lady out of her mind when I was by, and once or twice I fancied the girl was ready to cry. By and by she was at it again, and at last I plainly saw tears in her eyes, upon which I asked if the lady was dead, because she seemed to be in some concern for her. She made me much easier by her answer than ever she did before. She said she did not really know, but she believed she was dead. This, I say, a little relieved my thoughts, but I was soon down again, for after some time the jade began to grow talkative, as it was plain that she had been told all that her head could retain of Roxana, and the days of joy which I had spent at that part of the town, another accident had liked to have blown us all up again. I was in a kind of dishabille when they came, having on a loose robe with a morning gown, but much after the Italian way and I had not altered it when I went up, only dressed my head a little, and as I had been represented as having been lately very ill, so the dress was becoming enough for a chamber. This morning vest or robe, call it as you please, was more shaped to the body than we wear them since, showing the body in its true shape, and perhaps a little too plainly if it had been to be worn where any men were to come but among ourselves it was well enough, especially for hot weather. The colour was green, figured, and the stuff a French damask, very rich. This gown or vest put the girl's tongue a-running again, and her sister, as she called her, prompted it, for as they both admired my vest, and were taken up much about the beauty of the dress, the charming damask, the noble trimming, and the like, my girl puts in a word to the sister, captain's wife. This is just such a thing as I told you, says she. The lady danced in. What, says the captain's wife, the lady Roxana that you told me of? Oh, that's a charming story, says she. Tell it, my lady. I could not avoid saying so too, though from my soul I wished in heaven for but naming it. Nay, I won't say, but if she had been carried t'other way, it had been much as one to me, if I could but have been rid of her and her story too, for when she came to describe the Turkish dress, it was impossible, but the Quaker, who was a sharp, penetrating creature, should receive the impression in a more dangerous manner than the girl, only that indeed she was not so dangerous a person. For if she had known it all, I could more freely have trusted her, I could the girl by a great deal. I should have been perfectly easy in her. However, as I have said, her talk made me dreadfully uneasy, and the more when the captain's wife mentioned but the name of Roxana. What my face might do towards betraying me I knew not, because I could not see myself, but my heart beat as if it would have jumped out at my mouth. 
and my passion was so great that for want of vent I thought I should have burst. In a word, I was in a kind of a silent rage, for the force I was under of restraining my passion was such as I never felt the like of. I had no vent, nobody to open myself to, or to make a complaint to for my relief. I durst not leave the room by any means, for then she would have told all the story in my absence, and I should have been perpetually uneasy to know what she had said or had not said, so that in a word I was obliged to sit and hear her tell all the story of Roxana, that is to say of myself and not know at the same time whether she was in earnest or in jest, whether she knew me or no, or in short, whether I was to be exposed or not exposed. She began only in general with telling where she lived, what a place she had of it, how gallant a company her lady had always had in the house, how they used to sit up all night in the house gaming and dancing, what a fine lady her mistress was, what a vast deal of money the upper servants got. As for her, she said, her whole business was in the next house, so that she got but little, except one night that there was twenty guineas given to be divided among the servants, when she said she got two guineas and a half for her share. She went on and told them how many servants there was, and how they were ordered, but she said there was one Mrs. Amy who was over them all, and that she, being the lady's favourite, got a great deal. She did not know, she said, whether Amy was her Christian name or her surname, but she supposed it was her surname. They were told she got three score pieces of gold at one time, being the same night that the rest of the servants had the twenty guineas divided among them. I put in at that word, and said it was a vast deal to give away. Why, says I, it was a portion of a servant. Oh, madame, says she, it was nothing to do with what she got afterwards. We that were servants hated her heartily for it, that is to say, we wished it had been our lot in her stead. And I said again, why, it was enough to get her a good husband, and settle her for the world if she had sense to manage it. So it might, to be sure, madame, says she, for we were told she laid up above five hundred pounds, but I suppose Mrs. Amy was too sensible that her character would require a good portion to put her off. Oh, said I, if that was the case, it was another thing. Nay, says she, I don't know, but they talked very much of a young lord that was very great with her. And pray, what came of her at last, said I, if I was willing to hear a little, seeing she would talk of it, what she had to say as well of myself. I don't know, madame, says she, I never heard of her for several years, till t'other day I happened to see her. Did you indeed, says I, and made mighty strange of it. What? And in rags it may be, said I. That's often the end of such creatures. Just the contrary, madame, says she. She came to visit an acquaintance of mine, little thinking, I suppose, to see me, and I assure you she came in her coach. In her coach, said I. Upon my word, she had made her market then. I suppose she made hay while the sun shone. Was she married, pray? I believe she had been married, madame, says she, but it seems she had been at the East Indies, and if she was married it was there, to be sure. I think she said she had good luck in the Indies. That is, I suppose, said I, had buried her husband there. 
understood it so, madame, says she, and that she had got his estate. Was that her good luck, said I? It might be good to her, as to the money indeed, but it was but the part of a jade to call it good luck. Thus far our discourse of Mrs. Amy went, and no farther, for she knew no more of her. And then the Quaker unhappily, though undesignedly, put in a question which the honest, good-humoured creature would have been far from doing if she had known that I had carried on the discourse of Amy on purpose to drop Roxana out of the conversation. But I was not to be made easy too soon, the Quaker put in, but I think thou said something was behind of thy mistress. What didst thou call her? Roxana, was it not? Pray, what became of her? Ay, ay, Roxana, says the captain's wife. Pray, sister, let's hear the story of Roxana. It will divert my lady, I'm sure. That's a damned lie, said I to myself. If you knew how little to divert me, you would have too much advantage over me. Well, I saw no remedy, but the story must come on, so I prepared to hear the worst of it. Roxana, says she, I know not what to say of her. She was so much above us, and so seldom seen, that we could know little of her but by report. But we did sometimes see her too. She was a charming woman, indeed, and the footmen used to say that she was to be sent for to court. To court, said I. Why, she was at court, wasn't she? The Pall Mall is not far from Whitehall. Yes, madame, says she, but I mean another way. I understand thee, says the Quaker. Her meanest, I suppose, to be mistress to the king. Yes, madame, said she. I cannot help confessing what a reserve of pride still was left in me, and though I dreaded the sequel of the story, yet when she talked how handsome and how fine this lady Roxana was, I could not help being pleased and tickled with it, and put in questions two or three times of how handsome she was, and was she really so fine a woman as they talked of and the like, on purpose to hear her repeat what the people's opinion of me was, and how I had behaved. Indeed, says she at last, she was a most beautiful creature as ever I saw in my life. But then, said I, you have never had the opportunity to see her but when she was set out to the best advantage. Yes, yes, madame, says she, I have seen her several times in her dishabille, and I can assure you she was a very fine woman, and that which was more still, everybody said she did not paint. This was still agreeable to me one way there was a devilish sting in the tail of it all, and this last article was one, wherein she said that had seen me several times in my dishabille. This put me in mind that then she must certainly know me, and it would come out at last, which was death to me but to think of. Well, but, sister, says the captain's wife, tell my lady about the ball. That's the best of all the story, and of Roxana's dancing in a fine outlandish dress. "'That's one of the brightest parts of the story, indeed,' says the girl. "'The case was this. "'We had balls and meetings in her ladyship's apartments every week, almost, "'but one time my lady invited all the nobles to come such a time, "'and she would give them a ball, and there was a vast crowd indeed,' says she. "'I think you said the king was there, sister, didn't you?' "'No, madame,' says she. "'That was the second time, when they said the king had heard "'how finely the Turkish lady danced.' and that he was there to see her. But the king, if his majesty was there, came disguised. 
that is what they call incognito says my friend the quaker thou canst not think the king would disguise himself yes says the girl it was so he did not come in public with his guards but we all knew which was the king well enough that is to say which they said was the king well says the captain's wife about the turkish dress pray let us hear that why says she my lady sat in a fine little drawing-room which opened into the great room and where she received the compliments of the company and when the dancing began a great lord says she i forget who they called him but he was a very great lord or duke i don't know which took her out and danced with her but after a while my lady in a sudden shut the drawing-room and ran upstairs with her woman mrs amy and though she did not stay long i suppose she had contrived it all beforehand she came down dressed in the strangest figure that i ever saw in my life but it was exceeding fine here she went on to describe the dress as i have done already but did it so exactly that i was surprised at the manner of her telling it there was not a circumstance of it left out i was now under a new perplexity for this young slut gave so complete an account of everything in the dress that my friend the quaker coloured at it and looked two or three times at me to see if i did not do so too for as she told me afterwards she immediately perceived it was the same dress that she had seen me have on as i have said before however as she saw i took no notice of it she kept her thoughts private to herself and i did so too as well as i could I put in two or three times that she had a good memory, that could be so particular in every part of such a thing. Well, madame, says she, we that were servants stood by ourselves in a corner, but so as we could see more than some strangers besides, says she. It was all our conversation for several days in the family, and what one did not observe, another did. Why, says I to her, this was no Persian dress, only I suppose your lady was some French comedian that is to say a stage amazon that put on a counterfeit dress to please the company such as they used in the play of tamerlane at paris or some such no indeed madame says she i assure you my lady was no actress she was a fine modest lady fit to be a princess everybody said if she was a mistress she was fit to be a mistress to none but the king and they talked her up for the king as if it had really been so besides madame says she my lady danced a turkish dance all the laws and gentry said it was so and one of them swore he had seen it danced in turkey himself so that it could not come from the theatre at paris and then the name roxana says she was a turkish name well said i but that was not your lady's name i suppose no no madame said she i know that I know my lady's name and family very well. Roxana was not her name, that's true indeed. Here she run me aground again, for I durst not ask her what was Roxana's real name, lest she had really dealt with the devil, and had boldly given my own name in for answer, so that I was still more and more afraid that the girl had really gotten the secret somewhere or other, though I could not imagine neither how that could be a word i was sick of the discourse 
endeavoured many ways to put an end to it. But it was impossible, for the captain's wife, who called her sister, prompted her and pressed her to tell it, most ignorantly thinking that it would be a pleasant tale to all of us. Two or three times the Quaker put in that this Lady Roxana had a good stock of assurance, and that it was likely, if she had been in Turkey, she had lived with or been kept by some great beshore there, but still she would break in upon all such discourse and fly out into the most extravagant praises of her mistress, the famed Roxana. I run her down as some scandalous woman that it was not possible to be otherwise, but she would not hear of it. Her lady was a person of such and such qualifications that nothing but an angel was like her, to be sure, and yet, after all, she could say her own account brought her down to this, that in short her lady kept little less than a gaming ordinary, or as it would be called in the time since that, an assembly for gallantry and play. All this while I was very uneasy, as I said before, and yet the whole story went off again, without any discovery, only that I seemed a little concerned that she should liken me to this gay lady, whose character I pretended to run down very much, even upon the foot of her own relation. But I was not at the end of my mortifications yet, neither, for now, my innocent Quaker threw out an unhappy expression which put me upon the tenters again. Says she to me, this lady's habit, I fancy, is just such a one as thine, by the description of it. And then turning to the captain's wife, says she, I fancy my friend has a finer Turkish or Persian dress, a great deal. Oh, says the girl, "'Tis impossible to be finer, my ladies,' says she, "'was all covered with gold and diamonds. "'Her hair and headdress, I forget the name they gave it, "'said she shone like the stars. "'There were so many jewels in it. "'I never wished my good friend the Quaker out of my company before now. "'But indeed I would have given some guineas to have been rid of her just now for beginning to be curious in the comparing the two dresses she innocently began a description of mine and nothing terrified me so much as the apprehension lest she should importune me to show it which i was resolved i would never agree to but before it came to this she pressed my girl to describe the tihaya or headdress which she did so cleverly the Quaker could not help saying mine was just such a one, and after several other similitudes, all very vexatious to me, out comes the kind motion to me to let the ladies see my dress, and I join their eager desires of it, even to opportunity. I desired to be excused, though I had little to say at first why I declined it, but at last it came into my head to say it was packed up, with my other clothes that I had least occasion for, in order to be sent on board the captain's ship, but that if we lived to come to Holland together, which by the way I resolved should never happen, then I told them that unpacking my clothes they should see me dressed in it, but they must not expect I should dance in it, like the Lady Roxana in all her fine things. 
carried it off pretty well, and getting over this, got over most of the rest. I began to be easy again, and in a word, that I may dismiss the story too, as soon as may be, I got rid at last of my visitors, who I had wished gone two hours sooner than they intended it. As soon as they were gone, I ran up to Amy and gave vent to my passions by telling her the whole story and letting her see what mischiefs one false step of hers had like, unluckily, to have involved us all in, more perhaps than we could ever have lived to get through. Amy was sensible of it enough, and was just giving her wrath a vent another way, vis by calling the poor girl all the damned jades and fools, and sometimes worse names, that she could think of in the middle of which up comes my honest good Quaker, and put an end to a discourse. The Quaker came in, smiling, for she was always soberly cheerful. Well, says she, thou art delivered at last. I come to joy thee of it. I perceived thou wert tired grievously of thy visitors. Indeed, says I, so I was. That foolish young girl held us all in a Canterbury story. I thought she would never have done with it. Why, truly, I thought she was very careful to let thee know she was but a cookmaid. Ay, says I, and at a gaming-house or gaming ordinary, and at t'other end of the town, too, all which, by the way, she might know would add a very little to her good name among us citizens. I can't think, says the Quaker, but she had some other drift in that long discourse. There's something else in her head, says she. I am satisfied of that. Thought I, are you satisfied of it? I am sure I am the less satisfied for that, at least tis but small satisfaction to me to hear you say so. What can this be, says I, and when will my uneasiness have an end? This was silent, and to myself you may be sure. But in answer to my friend the Quaker, I returned by asking her a question or two about it, as what she thought was in it, and why she thought there was anything in it. For, says I, she can have nothing in it relating to me. Nay, says the kind Quaker, if she had any view towards thee, that's no business of mine, and I should be far from desiring thee to inform me. This alarmed me again. Not that I feared trusting the good-humoured creature with it, if there had been anything of just suspicion in her, but this affair was a secret I cared not to communicate to anybody. However, I say this alarmed me a little, for as I had concealed everything from her, I was willing to do so still. But as she could not but gather up abundance of things from the girl's discourse, which looked towards me, so she was too penetrating to be put off with such answers as might stop another's mouth. Only there was this double felicity in it. First, that she was not inquisitive to know or find anything out and not dangerous if she had known the whole story. But as I say, she could not but gather up several circumstances from the girl's discourse, as particularly the name of Amy, and several descriptions of the Turkish dress which my friend the Quaker had seen, and had taken so much notice of, as I have said above. As for that, I might have turned it off by jesting with Amy, and asking her who she lived with before she came to live with me. But that would not do, for we had unhappily anticipated that way of talking, having often talked so long on how Amy had lived with me, 
but which was still worse by having owned formerly that I had had lodgings in the Pall Mall, so that all those things corresponded too well. There was only one thing that helped me out with the Quaker, and that was the girl's having reported how rich Mrs. Amy was grown, and that she kept her coach. Now, as there might be many more Mrs. Amy's besides mine, so it was not likely to be my Amy, because she was far from such a figure as keeping her coach, and this carried it off from the suspicions which the good friendly Quaker might have in her head. But as to what she imagined the girl had in her head, there lay more real difficulty in that part a great deal, and I was alarmed at it very much, for my friend the Quaker told me that she observed the girl was in a great passion when she talked of the habit, and more when I had been importuned to show her mine, but declined it. She said she several times perceived her to be in disorder, and to restrain herself with great difficulty and once or twice she muttered to herself that she had found it out, or that she would find it out. She could not tell whether, and that she often saw tears in her eyes, that when I said my suit of Turkish clothes was put up, but that she should see it when we arrived in Holland, she heard her say softly she would go over on purpose then. After she had ended her observations, I added, I observed too that the girl talked and looked oddly, and that she was mighty inquisitive, but I could not imagine what it was she aimed at. Aimed at, says the Quaker, tis plain to me what she aims at. She believes thou art the same Lady Roxana that danced in the Turkish fest, but she is not certain. Does she believe so, says I? If I had thought that, I would have put her out of her pain. Believe so, says the Quaker, yes, and I began to think so too and should have believed so still if thou hadst not satisfied me to the contrary by thy taking no notice of it, and by what thou hast said since. Should you have believed so, said I warmly, I am very sorry for that. Why would you have taken me for an actress or a French stage-player? No, says the good kind creature, thou carriest it too far. As soon as thou madest thy reflections upon her, I knew it could not be. But who could think any other when she described the Turkish dress which thou hast here, with the head-tier and jewels, and when she named thy maid Amy too, and several other circumstances concurring? I should certainly have believed it, said she, if thou hadst not contradicted it. But as soon as I heard thee speak, I concluded it was otherwise. That was very kind, said I, and I am obliged to you for doing me so much justice. It is more, it seems, than that young talking creature does. Nay, says the Quaker, indeed she does not do thee justice, for she is certainly believes it still as ever she did. Does she, said I? Ay, says the Quaker, and I warrant thee she'll make thee another visit about it. Will she, said I, then I believe I shall downright affront her. No, thou shalt not affront her, says she, full of a good humour and temper. I'll take that part off thy hands, for I'll affront her for thee, and not let her see thee. I thought that was a very kind offer, but was at a loss how she would be able to do it, and the thought of seeing her there again half distracted me, 
not knowing what temper she would come in, much less what manner to receive her in, but my fast friend and constant comforter, the Quaker, said she perceived the girl was impertinent, and that I had no inclination to converse with her, and she was resolved I should not be troubled with her. But I shall have occasion to say more of this presently, for this girl had gone further yet than I thought she had. End of section 29